Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, from finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each podcast will consist of interviews with two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Hello, this is Peter Altrell from the American Council of the Blinds Employment Committee, our podcast, Let's Get to Work. Today I'm interviewing Nicole Gardner. And before I talk about Nicole, I do want to say something about this is an unusual step for us. Usually we interview blind people who are doing interesting and creative stuff in the career fields, whatever they, whatever that might be. But we occasionally will be interviewing people who run programs that seem to be doing great work in getting blind people employed. And thus, we are interviewing Nicole Gardner. Nicole is a director, career launch at the Perkins School for the Blind in Watertown, Massachusetts. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Peter. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to be here. Well, we're delighted to have you. So can you talk a little bit about what the, what the career launch program is? Absolutely. Career Launch is a a very innovative new program uh, that Perkins has put together um, whose mission is to help young adults who are blind and visually impaired, blind and or visually impaired, earn career-oriented jobs in the field of customer success. At Perkins, I'm the director of the program, so my job is to lead all aspects of the program. and And we have a team, all of us joined actually for this program. We're we're really on a mission. And as I said, our mission is really to enable and empower people to, uh, you know, get into the workforce. So what is customer success? Customer success is what what we mean by that when we describe these jobs is think of them as entry-level jobs. And these can be in companies, nonprofits, the government, where the role of the individual is to interface with typically a customer, first-line person to talk with or work with a customer, um, whether to give information, make a sale, solve a problem, interview, uh, request a donation, for example, from a college or something. So any, any interactive role like that. We call it customer success, but by the way, these jobs also exist where you might be working in a company and actually you're talking to employees every day, or you're talking to investors every day, or you're talking to job applicants every day or donors. But the key about it is that you're interacting with somebody on behalf of your employer, either to, you know, to either do a transaction, solve a problem, build a relationship, something like that. So, of course, the customers could be internal or external. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, tell me a bit bit about yourself before you took on this this new role Uh, professionally. What did you do beforehand? Well, um, I was uh, I was actually a business person for my entire career. I started in management consulting, and eventually I went into human resources in professional services and management consulting. And I was the chief HR officer of an international firm for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years or so, overseeing all aspects of human capital management. Uh, at the end of my career, I worked uh, as the chief diversity and inclusion officer for a Fortune 500 company. And then I retired, and I'd had a you know a very fulfilling, challenging career. My husband had been retired, and we felt it was time for us to go off and have some fun. Um, 
And a few years into that retirement, Peter, I, by luck, reconnected with an old friend, a guy named Dave Power, who is the CEO of Perkins and is himself a Perkins parent. And when we had coffee, he was describing to me this issue of, you know, really unconscionable unemployment among blind adults, blind and visually impaired adults. This is something I knew nothing about. I had had one colleague who was blind, who was an actuary, and that was really the extent of my exposure to the uh, to the community or, or or the world of blindness. We don't have anybody, I didn't have any friends or family who, who had suffered vision loss. Anyway, when he described this problem, and it really sounded like a wicked problem, you know, it, it seemed um, at that point, the Perkins board had stepped back and said, how can we increase our impact? How can we serve more broadly the you know our community? Um, obviously, Perkins is known worldwide for its its remarkable work, innovative work for blind and deafblind children in the states and around the world through its various programs. But the board said, "Can we do more?" And the idea was to step one you know one step out outside of the kid kids into young adults and to try to address uh, this issue of unemployment. I think there was sort of a feeling of if we, if you know, if if Perkins can't help solve this problem, who can? We 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 know so much and we have such deep expertise. When Dave and I were talking about this, um, you know, as I reflected on my own experience, I mean, I knew all as I I worked with lots of companies. I I was a strategist. I understood recruitment and training and adult learning and career management and you know talent development and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, I could be the bay leaf in the soup. And bring those skills to Perkins and try to help create this program that would achieve the mission. So that's that's actually how I ended up at Perkins. It was so unplanned. And when I came back, my husband was very unhappy because <laughs> he I think he wanted us to continue to be um, retired together. But honestly, I felt like it was fate that we had coffee that day. Um, I'm I'm feel like this is the most consequential work I'll do over the course of my life. I feel grateful to have the opportunity to to try to help. So the really important question is, mm. are you still having fun? Uh, yes, <laughs> I really am. I mean, I will tell you, I, I think I've, I, I really do mean it when I say I think this is the most consequential work I'll do. And I've had more sleepless nights while trying to figure this program out in the design phase, I think, than I ever had in my prior uh, professional life. But the uh, the rewards have also never felt greater. And, you know, we've, we've run the program a couple of times now, and I'm sure we'll have a chance to share some of the success stories. But I, I really, truly, um, I learn every day. I have a phenomenal team. I have, I feel humbled by the people I work with at Perkins who are in the broader, broader team, you know, the broader um, community. And it's it's just highly motivating and fun. Yeah. And my husband and I are still together. So Okay, that's <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I'm going to uh, put on my hat as a uh, I'm well over 18, but as a 25-year-old unemployed blind male mm-hmm. and I hear about your program. I'm not quite sure what this thing is, career mm-hmm. launch from this outfit I never heard of before, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Perkins, who, what, where, uh, why might I apply for your program? What, what, how does the program work from, from the student's perspective, do you think? It's a comprehensive program that if I were speaking to you as a young, a young male adult, age 25 or whatever, um, I think my question to you would be, you know, what are you seeking and what do you want to do? We are here to serve people who want to get to work and get their career started. We recognize we're doing this in a, you know, it, these are entry-level jobs. 
Um, but everybody has to land one of those jobs sometime and get their first job. We, we're hungry for people who themselves have ambition, are flexible, are good learners, and who want to get their careers on track. And what I would say is we have a comprehensive program that will um, take you from soup to nuts. We have a very, um, we have a very mindful and, um, and carefully constructed admissions process. So talk about the admissions process. How, how does that work? I sent you, how, how, what, what, what would I need to do to apply to the program? Um, go to go to our website and apply. Um, you'll be asked for a resume. Um, you'll be asked to fill out uh, a bunch of different questions. Um, we will, in real time, test your tech skills because we believe in demonstrated performance and we know that technology is a big gap for people, mm -hmm. um, many people in training. And, and for the companies, it's a sine qua non. There's an assumption that everybody knows how to do Google Suite or how to do Microsoft Suite or how to do Zoom or what have you. So if somebody hasn't really... People don't have to have mastered all of their access technology and all those different programs, but they have to be, you know, good enough at it that we know we can fill the gap. So, and I, I don't think I, I heard you say what your website is to apply. Oh, I beg your pardon. Thank you, Peter. It is Perkins.org. So if you go to career launch at Perkins.org, you'll find us. So anyway, we test your tech. We'll test you again in real time with some uh, simulations or role plays. We'll test your customer service kind of skills or aptitude. Um, we'll have an in-depth discussion with you around, around career readiness, career aspirations, goals, so that we understand alignment with the program. Um, I, I myself speak with every, every applicant to try to understand those things similarly and um, answer questions that they might have. We've had people apply who haven't gotten in, and we've then worked with them and their VR counselors, if they have one, to explain why and how they might improve their skills to be able to get in later. And we've had people come back and get in later. So anyway, we start with this pretty comprehensive application uh, admissions process. And our goal here, the program is, a, is either 14 months or 16 months, depending on if you come to our virtual or residential. That's a huge commitment on the part of the individual. It also costs money, and that's a big commitment. Um, and we know that, you know, uh, people are putting in blood, sweat, and tears to do this and do their best. So we want to be sure that we take people that we think we have a very good chance of helping land that first job. When people so, arrive... Um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Oh, um, no. So uh, you, you, you mentioned briefly the money angle. So how much does this cost and, and uh, how are you finding uh, funding sources, if at all? Sure. The, um, we have two versions of the program. Um, at a very high level... One is two full months of full-time training, like a 40-hour-a-week job, followed by two months paid internship, and all that time you're living on Perkins campus that's residential, followed by 12 months of career services tailored to you, career services support tailored to you, um, and some additional training. That 16-month program costs $35,000. We also have a virtual version where you can do it from, you know, Boise, Idaho or Jacksonville, Florida, wherever you might be. That it comprises the same two-month training program and the 12 months of career services support. It does not include the internship. And that program costs $20,000. And we've had a mix, um, we've had a mix of training of uh, funding sources. States will pay for the program. Not all states have paid for the program, but we there are states that are currently paying for the program in full. And we're building that every time we run the program, we're building out that list. Um, we've had families pay um, in full or sometimes 
that they can't quite pay all, but they can pay most. We've had that happen, pet families and or the individual. And um, Perkins has been able to offer scholarship in, in certain cases, which were, you know, is, is important to us that we ensure that people can get to the program. So our goal is to try to always do that. And so it's, it tends to be a mix of those three um, period to period. So uh, I am sure that you have uh, success stories. You mentioned them earlier. So share a couple of them. Sure. Well, we've, as I said, we've run the program two times, um, once residential, once virtual. People have gone on to jobs that have earned money ranging from $15 to $26 an hour. Um, this has been across multiple industries, so healthcare, technology, banking. By the way, those are all industries that have been growing and will continue to grow. Uh, consumer products, kind of you name it. Titles include things like customer support rep, um, electronic banking specialist. We've had somebody working in an accessibility team. So wide, you know, wide range of titles and functions. Um, some more out facing, some are more, some are more inward facing. Um, in the residential program, we had five people in that program, and all five were employed within four months of completing their internship. Um, and I'll just give you one example. Uh, we had an individual who got a job at Dunkin' Donuts corporate headquarters um, as a customer relations coordinator. Um, when COVID hit, she had to go back home to the Midwest. She had come to the program and then got a job here, so she's continued living in this area. And Duncan said, we're so sorry, but this is an in-person job, so um, it's been wonderful having you. And you know, we worked with her to say, you can go back and advocate to be given the opportunity to try to do it remotely. Let's talk a little bit about how that might work and what you might say and how you might request it. She went back and, and had that conversation. They said, we'll give it a try. You know, We don't really know, but we'll give it a try. And uh, you know, a year later, touch wood, she's still there thriving, having a, having a great time and doing a great job for the company. Our virtual program, we had four people in that program. Two were employed within two months. Um, one put job search on hold for personal reasons. One, we hope will land something fairly soon. She's at about the four-month period. Of the two who got employed, one is an electronic banking specialist uh, at a local bank here in Boston. And she lives here, but she preferred a remote job. And we were able to find her a job that could be remote. Um, so she's she's doing fantastically there. And we have another person from California who took our course, and he's a training and development associate at, associate at Improvada, which is a technology kind of cloud-based security co company. Um, so he's 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 doing fantastically. This is a guy who had an MBA, was Salesforce administrator licensed, but still could not crack that wall of getting you know, getting a job. So uh, the first person I mentioned had a high school degree uh, one end of the spectrum, correct? This as the last person I mentioned, on the other hand, had an MBA. Um, really, we, you know, we, we need people uh, with at least a high school degree, but we'll take any amount of college or further if, if um, you know, if that's what the individual has. That's really great. I, I'm really curious about what is you, how do you think your program made it more likely for these people to get jobs. You know, take that person, for example, with the MBA for sake of conversation, right? Mm -hmm. He got his MBA uh, mm -hmm. and got stalled somewhere. And so he signed up for your program. How did you, how do you think you helped him get over that hurdle? Well, part of it is, um, I do think our training is fantastic. So he, he was a very strong participant from the get-go because of all the stuff he'd done in the past. 
But, you know, we cover a lot of ground in the training. So we do the tech training, which I described. We do customer success skills training. We do personal productivity training. We spend a lot of time on communications. We spend a lot of time on job acquisition skills. Um, you know, some of that stuff is obvious, like resume writing. Um, we do a lot of mock interviewing. We do uh, managing your social media profile, how to how to research and tailor your letters, those kinds of things. So we uh, inevitably, there are some gaps usually that people have in one part or another of those. And by the way, Peter, there are a lot of great programs that do one or another piece of this. You know, they just do a piece of the puzzle. I think what's distinctive about ours is the comprehensive nature of the program from admissions through the two months of training and on through the career services portion at the end. I think that that's a part of it is the career services portion at the end because our our folks will work with you to to truly understand your interests, your skills, your capabilities, and then work with you to have a very tailored job search um, and to help you prepare each and every time um, that you go in for a round. We will also advocate for you uh, with the company if that's your choice. And we work with companies once people have landed to be sure that the company and the individual, they're ready for a successful and solid start. The other uh, secret weapon we have is we have a wonderful list of employer partners. These are companies that we've built relationships with over time with Perkins who are keen to interview our folks if they've got open positions because they know that they know they've helped us prepare the training. They understand the depth and the precision of the program. And so they are always open when we have people coming out of the program for interviews. We started with those only in the greater Boston area. And it was important that we did that because we assumed at the beginning that the program would only be residential and that uh, therefore we'd want to have companies ready for the internships. Now that uh, when, when COVID happened, we realized we couldn't serve people unless we did a, res- a virtual program. And by the way, that was a super lucky thing to have happen because we discovered that there were a lot of people we could now serve that would never have come to the residential program. And I'll use the individual in California as an example. You know, he's a newlywed, he's not gonna come East. Uh, We had a single mother of two uh, in that program. She couldn't leave her kids behind for for four months um, to come to our program. So it really broadened broadened our reach and our expanse. Anyway, when we went virtual, we realized, you know, we needed to begin building employer partners that had national scope um, as well, as well as companies that explicitly offer virtual jobs, remote jobs, so that when we're serving somebody from Boise or from Jacksonville, we have some likelihood of at least knowing some companies in the area and or companies that would hire people remotely. But um, we recognize that some folks want to work in person and some prefer remote. And so even when somebody first comes in the very first weeks of the program, we're already beginning with our career services folks are already beginning to say, if you want to work, you know, locally to your company, let's talk about where do you live and recruitment, uh, you know, what what does transportation look like and what are fields you're interested in and let's do some job searching together. So we already have a lot of momentum so that when they come out of the program, they've already got their search underway. So I want to ask you, you mentioned that fairly early in the program, you, uh, each person is assigned some kind of internship program. Can you describe what that internship program looks like? Uh, yep. Yeah. So just talk a little about that. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's part of the residential program, which is the 16-month program. And so um, when people arrive and they're in the midst of training, you know, we, we believe that um, if somebody goes in with not, with knowledge ahead of time, 
um, or passion for something, they're going to do their best work. They're going to do better than if they know nothing about the field. So, for example, when we had our first class come in, we had a person who's uh, one of one of the parents was a doctor, and we had opportunities at a couple of of the um, you know uh, Boston healthcare uh, providers and companies. And this person knew the lingo. You know, we said Epic. They knew Epic. Um, when she went in for her interviews, that was completely to her advantage because she already had a body of knowledge that was relevant for the company and they did for her. Right. And they, they liked that. So that's how she landed that one. We had somebody else. um, So, so we, so we sort of match in that way. And we also match based on skills and demonstrated competency in the training program. All the internships are 40 hours, unless the person requests otherwise, the internships are 40 hours a week um, for eight weeks. So we finish training on a Friday, have a pizza party, and on Monday, people are in their jobs using the muscle of what they've learned in the program, in the training, right on those jobs. And our, our you know, career services person is right there with them, ensuring that everything's ready to go and they get off to a good start. The expectation at the end of the internship program is that we'll say goodbye, thank you very much, and people will fly back home or drive back home to where we, you know, take a train, whatever it is, we'll head back home to their home city or town, and we'll be looking for work there. I will tell you, when we ran the program, we had five people in internships, and in four cases, the companies called us and said, uh, we didn't expect to do this, but hey, would it be okay if we offered a full-time job to intern ABC? Because we just can't imagine not having them here anymore. We want them to stay with us. Well, yeah. we were thrilled. Um, we said, of course you have permission, <laughs> no problem. And pretty much all four of those people took those jobs and relocated to Boston um, for those jobs. Um, so uh, before we went on, I apologize for interrupting you, but there's a question no. I really want to address before we yeah. end. And that has to do with the whole technology piece. Mm. And um, one of the issues that that customer service folks sometimes experience with visual impairment Mm-hmm. Is some software is accessible to folks with some vision mm-hmm. and totally inaccessible to people who are who have not enough vision to be able to use Zoom text and things like that. I'm wondering if you've addressed such is, such issues, and if so, how? Well, we, there's nothing we can do about software platforms that are that are out there that are not accessible. We we can't change that from where we sit. That needs to be changed. It's not right, but we can't change that. We teach on Salesforce. Salesforce is pretty ubiquitous. It's a CRM that's quite well known. It is accessible, um, and we teach we teach both Zooms, both in Zoom and in um, and using Jaws. Um, and we have people doing it on Windows, and we have people doing it on Macintoshes when they're when we're doing it remotely. Um, and we um, and we when we're looking, you know, if we have a company that is interested in working with us, and we know for a fact that their jobs, that the jobs that they're offering to us are not accessible for people who are JAWS users, then we're not going to align people up with that, obviously. If, sure. if somebody who's a, who's a Zoom user who says, look, I, I want to work in, you know, that industry, and that's a, and we think that's a good fit, that's great. But um, but we, we need to be careful about that and thoughtful about that. And, you know, we're grateful for people who are trying to change that, um, we, we, we think we, that's really important. But we have to be realistic as well in, in helping people craft their job search. No, I, I think that's really important, and I appreciate that response. Can you, I, I just want to make, make sure I understand something. So obviously, when COVID hit, you, you, um, you went virtual, which mm-hmm. obviously was a requirement. And you said that really benefited the program because it allowed you to see that you could serve people virtually. 
Yeah. One of the things the virtual program does not include right now, is that correct, is the internship program. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And are, are there ways that you are trying to think through how you might be able to um, find ways to work around the fact that you can't do um, internship programs virtually? You know, to be honest, I think we figured that out. I mean, we, we said to ourselves, should we run the program and while the two months are going, hustle in each, each person's city or town and try to find them an internship, a paid internship? And then rehustle two months after that for a job. Right. The more we thought about that, the more we thought that did not make sense. And this, I will say this from me with my old CHR hat on, CHR uh, Chief Human Resources Officer hat on. Um, people do interns because they kind of have to. Right. Um, companies do interns because they have to, you know, to recruit certain talent in and test. But really, they want people who are going to come in and, and be a good hire. That you, when, when you've gone through the problem, through the trouble of interviewing, assessing making an offer, winning the offer, onboarding, training. That's a lot of work for somebody that you know will be there for just a month or two. So we felt that actually strategically, it was better to go right to job search and help people land and be successful in that job as quickly as possible after the training. So we will always offer residential program and virtual in the future. We will always have them be 14 months for virtual training and right to jobs. I think we'll keep on the other hand, the internship program for the residential, because there is something to be said for having no downtime between the end of the learning training program and the start of using the skills in real time. And for the people who can come on campus and do that internship, that gives them one more thing to talk about when they go into interviews. Right. That makes sense. Right? So, yeah. yeah. I mean, the other folks can tell stories too, because we do do simulations in our training. Um, we do we do sessions on, on business literacy so that they've got the lingo. Um, and the simulations are, and, and we do a lot of improv and stuff. And the simulations are a lot of fun for people. And so they actually, they've been through a whole battery of different industries and different functional jobs in the course of those simulations to help them on their own search for what kind of job might I want. So they've got good war stories to tell when they go into interviews. Um, but for the people who can come on campus, we, we do like the internship. So in the last couple of minutes, I would like to, for you to do your elevator speech, you know, and, and try to uh, encourage folks who might be interested to apply to your program, focusing a little bit on, you know, $25,000 is expensive. A lot of people don't have $25,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about why people might be interested in your program and how to address the financial issue. I would encourage anybody who's interested in getting their career started and has been having trouble, or even if they haven't, to to come and talk with us. We have a a comprehensive program that is proven, that has been proven to help people break through those barriers. Barriers don't belong there, but they are there to getting employed um, in an entry-level job that has career potential. We we like this uh, and... The class of jobs we recruit people that we train people for, which is customer success, are always in demand. They're ubiquitous. You get paid a living wage. Depending on you and the company, they have upward potential. You can be trained and developed up, whether that's in sales or being in a customer service center and then moving into um, a functional area like compensation or what have you, um, in technology, et cetera. So they, they, the jobs are great ones. Um, and... Uh, we know that our program covers all the skills required, the hard skills and the soft skills. And people like to talk about the hard skills, but frankly, the soft skills sometimes can be or are the hard skills. So we spend a lot of time on that. 
Um, the program has built into it um, many speaker series and panels so that you can begin building your professional network, even during the training, with people who are working in these fields and or people who themselves are blind or visually impaired and are successfully um, on their career pathway. And that's an asset that will be in your back pocket for the rest of your career. So we really, we, we really encourage anybody who's interested in learning more to talk to us. I would never say let, don't, I would always say don't let the money or the price tag stand in your way. Um, if you've got a high school degree or more and you think this program could serve you, you should come. Odds are your state will pay um, and or if not, you know, see what you can do with your family and or come and talk with us. We'll work very hard on our end to ensure that people can come for, you know, for whom this program is the right program. So don't let that be a blocker. Thank you, Nicole, for interviewing with us. We really appreciate your time and we wish you well. We wish you well in this exciting program. Thank you so much, Peter, for the opportunity and um, we really appreciate it. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, work it.